We are in our summer series that uh, we started last week. We're doing it for the months of June and July, and it's, um, it's called People, Places, and Things. It's, uh, it's incredibly profound. We're talking about people, places, and things in the Bible. <laughs> um, not all that profound, but it's really great because we're talking about how it relates to the character of God and how these things ultimately pertain to our life and, and uh, what that looks like for us. And last week, we kicked it off with talking about the four lepers in 2 Kings. And uh, this week, I'm gonna be in the New Testament, actually, and uh, a little bit in the old as well, but we're gonna be talking about uh, something. I'll, I'll take you there in a moment, but I wanna have you uh, stand with me as we read my text verse first, if you would, please, out of Luke 4. We're just gonna stand in honor of God's word today. Luke chapter four, verses one and two. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, remember that, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The title of my message today is Hunger Pains. Would you pray with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day, God. Lord, we thank you for all of your blessings in our life, Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to the Bowens that they could be here this morning. What an incredible privilege. And God, we just give you all the praise and the glory. And Lord, we ask that you would minister to us during this time. God, I pray that my words would be your words that you would minister to our hearts, and that this word would produce fruit in our lives for your glory and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. All right, so hunger. Title of my message is Hunger Pains. Uh, everybody has experienced hunger pains in their life, right? Physical hunger pains, legitimate hunger pains. We know that hunger is a very powerful thing. In fact, it's so powerful, it, they've even created a word for it that is called hangry. Anybody ever been hangry in life? Yeah. Uh, we, we experienced that a good bit in my home with, with teenagers. So uh, they seem to get hungrier more than adults do for some reason. But uh, there, it, hunger is a very powerful feeling that we have, and it is something that uh, when we are hungry and we get to eat and we get to appease that hunger, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? There's nothing more fun than, than getting to eat when you're really hungry. We don't always get to experience that because we live in a society now where we just, you know, well, it's noon, I guess I have to eat. You don't even have to be hungry anymore. You just eat when, when it's that time more than when your body's telling you you're hungry. So, but when you actually get to experience that, it's a great thing to get to, uh, ex to appease that hunger. Um, in fact, the definition of hunger that I looked up is an uncomfortable or painful sensation caused by insufficient consumption of dietary energy. <laughs> Sounds really uh, wordy, but basically, it means when you feel this, you're not comfortable. There's a discomfort there, and the discomfort only relents when we appease that hunger, right? Now, the, 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 the great thing about it is it does feel good to do that, but the bad thing is that that hunger is only appeased for a short period, and then it comes back. There's always a new hunger coming down the road, right, uh, which keeps us eating. Our body's designed to do that, to remind us to eat so that we don't die. And so we have this hunger that continually comes in our life, and it only gets appeased as we feed that hunger, and it can be a perpetual, it is a perpetual thing in our life that we continue to manage. But there's also a hunger that's more than actually the hunger pains we deal with. There's the hunger that's really a craving, right? When we hunger for something that's not necessarily something we have to have, it's more of a, a craving, more of something we just really, really want, not necessarily something that we have to have. It's not a physical hunger. A craving is more of an emotional hunger. Many of you have probably said, I'm an emotional eater, right? When I'm stressed out, I tend to eat more. It's not because you're hungrier, it's because you're responding to an emotion that makes you want to eat, makes you want to give in to cravings because you might be able to uh, help your emotions in that moment if you can give in at that time, right? And uh, it's interesting because Joy and I right now, we're actually doing the, the keto diet. We've been doing it for about a month. Uh, we got some COVID pounds we need to shed. And so uh, we've been doing keto together and uh, what you learn quickly when you diet, which all of us have probably dieted on some level, is that diets aren't really hard because you're hungry. They're hard because you don't get to appease your cravings, right? I mean, there's no few diets that say you can't eat anything unless you're fasting. Most, I mean, keto, you know, you can eat till you're full. I can eat meat and eggs and cheese and some vegetables until I'm nice and full, yet the craving for the ice cream cone is still there at the end of the meal. I'm not hungry anymore but I still want that ice cream cone. And I have to say no to it because we're, uh, we're trying to be good. And so uh, what you learn from stuff like this is that like, dieting is not hard in, in that it, it affects our physical hunger, it's hard in that it affects our cravings 
and our physical cravings in life. And to be healthy, we know that we have to be intentional, right? You, have, you can't wait till seven o'clock to decide what you're gonna eat for dinner because by then you're super hungry and then you don't even care, you just wanna get something in you. So that's when you go to get the tacos from Taco Bell, right? <laughs> so to be really healthy, we have to be intentional about making sure we're not just giving into our cravings, right? Because we're not really always good at not giving in to those food temptations, right? I mean, who can resist a Krispy Kreme donut? I mean, that's pretty tough to do. It doesn't matter when you ate. It doesn't matter how full you are. You could be like, oh, I feel like if I eat another bite, it's gonna like overflow out of my throat. Oh, Krispy Kreme, sure, I'll take one. <laughs> because they're just designed to be eat, right? Like two at a time, double fisting, you know, whatever you gotta do. Um, it's hard to resist the temptations that come into our life. In fact, I heard a Christian comedian say one time, he said, you know, the Bible says, we're to pray, God, lead me not into temptation. He said, but I think our response usually in our mind to that is, yeah, God, you don't have to lead me, just show me where it is and I'll find it. Because that's kind of who we are, right? We have, we have a tendency to find those things that are temptations in our life and flock to them. But listen, this isn't a sermon about food, don't worry. Um, th there's, there's other hungers we have in life besides hungers for food. There's the hungers of the flesh, the cravings of the flesh, the hunger for the things of the flesh. And this drive in our life can be so strong that the only way to get it to relent is to give into it. And how often times are we guilty of that? Giving into those cravings. C.S. Lewis said that uh, only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it really is. A man who gives into temptation after five minutes simply doesn't know what it would have been like an hour later. And it's true. If we give in, we don't really know what temptation is like down the road. We only know what it's like at the front. And if we're giving in all the time, we're appeasing the cravings of the flesh. And we know that if we give in to our cravings all the time, even with food, it can affect our health physically, right? But if we give in to our cravings in the flesh, the carnal cravings in our life consistently, it can not only affect our health, it can affect our life, our destiny, it can affect our eternity. In fact, Paul says in Romans 8, verse 13, look what he says here. For if you live according to the flesh, he's talking about the cravings of the flesh here, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So what he's talking about here, the, the cravings of the flesh, these are just these simply purely fleshly cravings and carnal desires that we have in life. Not all of them are bad, some of them are good, but if, if we're just focusing on what we want and what we need, our selfish desires, and we're not giving any place to the spiritual, any thought to God and what he would want for our life, he's saying you're giving into those things, you will die. And he's not talking about a physical death, he's talking about a spiritual death. And we know the dangers of that, right? Most all of us know the dangers of being of of spiritually dying and being separated from God. He's saying you cannot live in such a way that you're always giving in to these temptations in your life. But how many of you know, like you could just see the sin nature in your life all the time because the things we know we're not supposed to give in to, it makes us want them even more. I mean, let's just be honest, we're all that way. We're all wired that way apart from the spirit of God in our life. We just want those things more. It reminds me when I was a young teenager and. Uh, it's going to date me a little bit, but Stephen King's Children of the Corn came out. And it was a scary horror movie, and I wanted to see it, but the only reason I wanted to see it was because I wasn't allowed to. And I'm sad to say I figured out a way to see it anyway, and I regretted it because I was terrified, uh, especially because we lived right next to a cornfield, so that made it even worse. I was like, man, those kids are going to come out of the corn in the middle of the night. It's going to be over. And, uh, but if my, I wanted to see it more because I knew I wasn't supposed to, because there was that rebellious nature that's in us, you know, that wants to do things that we know we really shouldn't do in our life. And so my, my story today, the people, places, things that I'm talking about today, um, is going to be out of Luke, where my text verse was. I'm, I'm going to talk about a person and a place. We're going to talk about Jesus in the wilderness. Many of you know this story. Jesus goes into the, is led into the wilderness, as we read in my text verse, to be tempted by the devil, right? And he was there for 40 days. And uh, this is a story that's told in all three of the synoptic gospels. We're, we're looking at the version that Luke had. I like Luke's version. Uh, in, in chapter four, it starts with him going into the desert. But to set it up, I gotta take you back to chapter three, one chapter earlier, because this is actually where Jesus gets baptized. Jesus goes to the Jordan, and John the Baptist is there, and he baptizes Jesus. It's, it's actually one of the most epic experiences in the history of the world, that God comes in the flesh and he's baptized by John the Baptist, 
the, and it says in the Bible that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. So those people in the room were actually able to see it, or not in the room, in the, there at the time, were able to see the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus. And then to top it off for good measure, there's a voice that comes from heaven, probably sounded like James Earl Jones, and it said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Okay? That's a compliment to James Earl Jones. <laughs> but it was this voice of God the Father saying, this is my son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. What an epic moment in the history of the world. And let's not, let's not think that it wasn't an emotional high for Jesus too. He was God, but he was also fully man. This was an emotional high. He was, if he was leaving the Jordan talking about it, he was talking about the wind. He's like, man, let me tell you how good it was today. I got baptized, the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove. I heard my heavenly father speaking to me. What a day, right? And it's interesting because the very next verse is my text verse. And I'm gonna read it to you again because I wanna make sure you're, you're following with me. Luke 4, one to two, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, remember I told you to remember that, he just got baptized, Holy Spirit descended on him, he's filled, he is. He is full to overflowing. Holy Spirit's coming out of his ears, okay? Full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. There's so much here, even before we get in, we're gonna get into the temptations, but even before we get into that, there's so much here specifically about the character of God, about the character of your enemy, and about who we are as people. Because see, sometimes what we learn from this is that sometimes God leads us in the wilderness and allows temptation to slap us in the face. The Bible's very clear. He was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Now you might say, well, that was Jesus. He had to do that. That was part of the plan, right? Jesus had to pass that test because he was the Messiah. Let me tell you what, if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. God didn't treat Jesus differently than he treated us or than he treats us. We're full of the same spirit. If you have the spirit of God in you, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same spirit that led him into the wilderness is the same spirit that's in you and me. And that spirit does not negate his character or change who he is for circumstances. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So I know this goes against some of our theology, but the reality is Satan doesn't just have access to tempt us if we're not walking with God. Many of us wanna think, well, I'm a Christian, Satan can't touch me. Now, let me tell you, the, the leash is short that he has, but he can definitely come and tempt you in your life. It doesn't have to be that you're not walking with God right, or you're making all kinds of mistakes, or you got a lot of sin in your life. Jesus was fresh from his baptism, full of the Holy Spirit, yet here he goes being led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And God will do the same thing for us. And it's, that can be easily something that we think, man, that's not really good, why would God do that? Well, I'm gonna explain it, and I think you're gonna, I, I think it's freeing when we really understand the character of God in a situation like this. I really do. Because see, oftentimes the wilderness and the temptation, oftentimes those things come after a big win in our life. Jesus just came off of a huge win. What's a bigger win than that? Anybody else have a Holy Spirit descend on you like a dove and the, and the Father yell out from heaven to say that he's pleased with you? Probably not, right? Huge win for Jesus. And he goes right into this time of wilderness and temptation. Can I tell you, personally for me, some of, not always, but some of the toughest Mondays I have are after the best Sundays. And it's not because I'm just weird. It's because when you know the character of your enemy, Satan, it's very common. Because see, here's the, th here's the thing. Satan's goal for you is to discourage you. It's ultimately to steal, to kill, and destroy you but he wants to at least discourage you. He doesn't have to discourage the discouraged. He discourages the encouraged. So when you're encouraged, you're on his hit list. Now, does that mean, oh no, I should never be encouraged so he leaves me alone? Of course not. That doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that just because you had a huge win doesn't mean that the next, we're just gonna go from mountaintop to mountaintop and never have to go through the valley, right? We, we just sang here, even when I'm in the valley, I'm gonna praise you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil, I won't fear Satan, but I also know he's there. And I better make sure I'm with my, my heavenly Father, and I'm with my Lord when I'm going through those times. So sometimes after our biggest wins is when we have some of these biggest challenges. The enemy does not like it when you are doing well. 
It's really just that simple. And we see the character of God in this situation. It says that he led him into the desert, right? He led him into the wilderness to be tempted. It almost seems like he threw him to the wolves, right? If you don't understand who God is, it looks like, man, why would he do that? Why wouldn't he just let him go right into his ministry and let him do his thing? Well, here, here's, here's something we all need to remember, and some of you might just need to learn this today. God tests us. He tests our faith. That's what he does. Now, you may have never been taught that before. You may have been taught if you just give your life to Jesus, your life's gonna be great. You're gonna be amazed at how much he's gonna bless you, and he's just gonna get you through every situation, and you're just gonna ride up high on the clouds and just hover over everything bad down here. But that's not scriptural at all. When you see who God is, he doesn't promise us to keep us in this, this devil-proof bubble in our life. What he promises is that he's gonna go with us. What he promises is that we don't have to do it alone. And what we understand, what we know about the scripture is that he actually does test us. And the reason God tests us is because it is more important that our faith is authentic than it is cushy. Amen. It's a thousand times more important that our faith is authentic. And there's no way to know if your faith is authentic until it's been tested. There's no way to know. You could say you have faith. If nothing's ever gone wrong, if you've never been challenged in your faith, then you don't really know where your faith is. It's just a, just a roller coaster ride, just chugging along and everything's going fine. The way you know if your faith is genuine is if it's tested. And God is much more concerned about authentic faith than he is about making sure your life is nice and cushy. He's much more concerned. In fact, in Peter, 1 Peter 6, or 1 Peter 1, excuse me, verses 6 and 7. Look what it says here. He says, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though it is refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is one of the most important verses we as Christians need to know, is that this is the character of God. The trials come into our lives so that our faith may be proved genuine. It will happen to you. I can guarantee it. You walk with Jesus for any amount of time, your faith is going to be tested. And sometimes it's just him allowing the enemy to bring in temptation, to see where you are in your faith, because we don't really know what we believe until that faith is challenged. See, our relationship with God doesn't always look like many would claim or think it should look. It's not a, it's not a consistent or, or constant amusement park where Jesus is our tour guide, just taking us from great ride to great ride, and it's just a blast the whole time. There's going to be some challenges in our life, and he is going to test us. And here's the deal, and this is what I really love about our God. He tests our faith to prove that it's genuine, but also to prepare us for his purpose for us. He tests our faith to prepare us for what he has for us. And what you see here in this passage is that you see Jesus, at the beginning of chapter four, he is full of the Holy Spirit. He got filled with the Holy Spirit in the, in the previous chapter. Probably already had the Holy Spirit, but this was more of a demonstration of it so people could see it. Full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Do you know at the end of this, at the end of this section of chapter four, the very next verse is, is verse 14. The very next verse, after Satan was done tempting him, it says that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Okay, now this is, this is really good stuff. This is the Word of God speaking here, okay? This is exactly what the Word is telling us. First of all, you, you see he's full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and it was after he, he passed the test in the wilderness that he was walking in the power of the Spirit. This is the first mention of the power of Spirit, the power of the Spirit of God in him working for the ministry that he was walking into at that time. So what that means for us is that we can be filled with the Spirit all day. We should ask, to be, I pray all the time, God, fill me with your Spirit. The Bible says to be continually filled with the Spirit, be overflowing with the Spirit, be baptized in the Spirit, have the Spirit of God just in you and, and just living in you in a powerful, powerful way, right? We can pray for that and that's wonderful, but if we're really gonna walk in the power of the Spirit, it's gonna come after a time of testing. It's gonna come after a time of tribulation. It's gonna come after a time of trial. It's gonna come after a time of proving that that faith is genuine. You want the power of God in you. We wanna be filled with the Spirit, have the power of the Spirit, but we don't wanna have the testing that comes in between oftentimes. And we cannot resent that time of wilderness that comes in our life because that's God actually preparing us 
to help us to walk in the power that he has for us. And that's a beautiful thing. It's freeing because it's like, oftentimes we, we feel like if we're in a place of wilderness, if we're in a place of temptation where the temptation just feels so strong and so much testing and we're struggling and we're starting to, we ask ourselves, God, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? Like, am I, am I, is there sin in my life? And we should always ask that question to make sure, but too oftentimes we just assume it's something we're not doing right. Well, God, I'm only reading my Bible once every other day. I guess I'm gonna have to go to every day now so I can get through this. That's not necessarily the answer. Sometimes it's God doing it to test your faith so that he can give you the power you need to live out the purpose he has for you. And you just gotta just resist the temptation and not give into it. Let me tell you something, church. There will be times that God will lead you to places that you don't want to go. There are times that God will lead you to places that you do not want to go. And he will ask you to do things that you do not want to do. He will do that. He's a good God. He's a good father. And he loves us passionately. He died for us. But, it's, but, but he has a plan for your life. And your faith has got to be tested to know that it is genuine. And he will ask you to do things. He's asked me to go places and do things that I never thought in a million years I would do and go. And let me tell you something. You may be ne never been told this before, but to follow Jesus, you're going to have to do that. Not only do that, but you're also going to have to leave things behind. You're going to have to leave things behind. Jesus had to leave the crowd behind when he went into the wilderness. He was all by himself. There are times you're going to have to leave things behind in your life. In fact, I will go as far as to say today that if, if following Jesus has cost you nothing, you're not actually following Jesus because that's not who he is. In fact, he doesn't apologize for it. He says, listen, if you're going to follow me, you're going to pick up your cross. You're going you're to uh, you're gonna adopt a lifestyle of surrender and sacrifice and leaving things behind for me. You're going to have to say no to some temptations that some of your friends get to say yes to, and it's no big deal because it's socially acceptable. But you're going to have to say no to them because to follow Jesus, you can't bring those things with you. He's saying, all I need you to bring is your cross. That's it. You don't have to bring anything else. I got everything else covered. You bring the cross and you follow me. That's what it looks like to follow him. And he doesn't apologize for it because he paid the price so that we could follow him. And he might even lead us into the wilderness sometimes. But here's the beauty of it. When he leads us into the wilderness, he's with us. And I can tell you guys. I'd rather be in the wilderness with Jesus than at an amusement park by myself because there's no comparison. There is no comparison. He is greater than anything that this world could ever, ever offer us. And I'll say this too. You will never experience the fullness of God in your life if you don't leave things behind, if you don't pick up your cross and follow him, and if you don't go the places that you don't want to go that he would be calling you to. If you really wanna experience his fullness, that's where it's at. I think we miss out on so much that God wants for us because we wanna follow him, but we're wanting to drag these other things with us and we can't keep up. He's saying, man, you gotta just leave, let that go. Leave it alone. You know, we wanna follow Jesus. Okay, I'll carry my cross, but I got a backpack full of my own stuff too. Like you don't have any room to carry anything when you follow Jesus except your cross. That's all you got room for. There's nothing else left. You're driving a, a car with no hatchback. There's no room, there's no back seat. It's just a cross, that's all you get to bring. But that's where we get to experience his fullness in life. So let me give you these three temptations. I'll try to do these fairly quickly. The temptations of Jesus in the wilderness, these are exclusive to Jesus, but there is a deeper meaning for each one of them that's for us. And we'll start with the first one. We're just gonna continue through Luke 4, verses three and four. It says, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. So here comes the first temptation. Jesus is fasting. He's in the desert. You know he's hungry. If you ever fasted, mm, it's tough. And when, when Satan comes to him, he wants to tempt him. He wants to try to get him to turn this stone into bread because he knows Jesus is hungry. But here's the thing. This temptation has very little to do with bread. It's not much about food. Satan's not coming to you and me and saying, hey, turn this into a loaf of the best bread in town so you can eat. He doesn't do that to us, right? So what does this mean for us? What it means is that he wants to exploit our impatience. Now, that doesn't sound incredibly spiritual, but it really is, it is very spiritual. It's something we all have to deal with. How many of you know waiting for God is never a party? 
Waiting for God is a challenge, and we're almost all waiting for God for something in our life at any given time, right? And it can be a challenge, and the tendency is to want to take matters into our own hands. When we're waiting for God and he's not doing it in our timeline, right? And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. That's what he wanted Jesus to do. He wanted to take matters into his own hands. You're hungry, you need to have something to eat. And Satan wants us to take matters into our own hands because what, guess what happens? When we take it into our hands, it's out of God's hands. It can't be in his and ours at the same time. And let me tell you, God's not gonna fight with you. You wanna take it into your hands, he's gonna let you do it. He's gonna let you do it. The whole, the whole premise of the life of a Christian, the whole, the whole Christian life premise is all about surrender. It's about us giving to him. If we wanna pull it back, he'll let us. And if you wanna take something into your own hands, he will let you. And I wanna tell you something today, church. Even good things, even godly things at the wrong time is not of God. It's not of God. There's nothing wrong with bread, right? but it would not have been the right time for Jesus to have that bread. So it would not have been of God if he would have made that stone into bread at that time. But what the enemy would wanna say is, man, if you're the son of God, why is God letting you be so hungry? I mean, it's just not that big of a deal. It's not like this is a sin that you want, like this is legitimate hunger pains you're experiencing. This is a, a, a physiological reaction. You actually need food. Why would God deprive you of this? Why would he make you wait for this? And he says to us, if you're a child of God, why would God make you wait for godly things? If your marriage is a good thing, if you're a child of God, why is God making you wait to get married? Just take it into your own hands. Do it yourself. The need for physical intimacy is something that God gives us. Why would God make you wait? Why would he make you wait? Just go be with your girlfriend, be with your boyfriend, turn that computer screen into something that can appease that need for intimacy. Why would God make you wait for those things? I don't understand. Satan would say, if I was God, I'd give it to you right now. I'd give you the power to turn that into whatever you need right now. That's exactly what he wants to do. He wants us to do things in our time, wait, not wait for God to, to do things in our life, but to act on our impatience and on our impulses. Because he would say, you know what? If I was God, I would give this to you. And frankly, I think you just need to take it into your own hands because obviously God's not listening to you. Obviously he's not hearing your prayers. I mean, let's just be real, church. I, I, I've felt that way plenty of times in my, in my faith. But like, God, I've been asking you for this for a long time, and I know this is something you would want me to have. I know it's a good thing. Why, are, why is it not happening? I mean, we all do that. Lord, I, I, you need, I want you to heal me. You know, I've, I've been dealing with migraines since I was in middle school. I used to, have to go home from school with horrible migraines. And I've been prayed over more than dozens of times. I can't even tell you how many times I've been prayed over for healing. And, and the Lord has never manifested the healing in my body yet, okay? And I can tell you there have been many times that I've gone to God and said, God, come on. I mean, I'm serving you. I'm doing everything I know to serve you. I don't say this out loud, but this is how we think. I'm doing everything I know to serve you. I'm doing A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I've, I've given up some time in my life to go into the mission field. I'm struggling with migraines on the mission field. Like, come on, God. And that's exactly what Satan wants. He's like, oh, yeah, see? If God is really good, if you're a child of God, why would he do that to you? I mean, I, I heal you, you know, but that's just me. Maybe God wants to do something different and make us question it and not wanna be patient and wait for God to do what he wants to do in our life. I can tell you that God can get glory out of migraine headaches. He can get glory out of anything if we will purpose in our heart that we're gonna glorify him through it. He can do anything that he wants to do. But the enemy would say, well, you know, that's not even just a want. I can, he, the enemy would say to you, I can understand God making you wait for things you want. You know, I mean, nobody needs a brand new Corvette. So God could say, well, you need to wait for that. You know, maybe wait till forever. <laughs> but a need? I mean, bread, if your stomach has been empty for 40 days, that's a need. Why wouldn't he let you have that? He wants to exploit our impatience. And I love Jesus' response to him. He, Jesus refers back to Deuteronomy, actually. These are the words of Moses. When, when the, the children of Israel were about to go into the promised land and Moses is giving this speech to them and he's telling them, don't forget the Lord your God when you go into the promised land. And he's reminding them of how God brought them through the wilderness for 40 years and he's encouraging them to make sure they remember what God did for them. And then in, verse, in chapter eight, verse two and three, look what he says. He says, remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you. Huh, sounds like First Peter. 
to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry. God let them go hungry, brought them out of Egypt, and then had the audacity to let them go hungry. Then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors, he did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He let them go hungry. This was God's plan for them. And can I tell you again, it had nothing to do with bread. It had nothing to do with manna. It had nothing to do with food. It had everything to do with dependence on him. Everything. Do you know God will allow deprivation in your life so that when the provision comes, you know it's from him. He will allow that all day, every day. He doesn't work on our timeline, he works on his. And he is always trying to bring us to a place of more dependence upon him. And we know that's true because there, every one of us has something that we not only want, we have things right now that we feel like we need that God's making us wait for. And I can tell you in the waiting, what he's wanting to do is to cause you to be dependent on him. He, so he told the children of Israel, listen, I let you go hungry, not because I wanted to see you hungry, but because I wanted you to know that you don't live by bread, you live by my word. You live because I'm God, and I'm the one that delivered you out of Egypt. I'm the one that is the almighty, the all-powerful, the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. I'm everything, and you guys need me desperately. So if I gotta deprive you of food so you're hungry, so you will, you will turn your eyes to me and be dependent upon me, so be it. And I tell him in my life, God, if that's what you need to do for me, so be it. Whatever you need to do. Yeah, do I want healing in my life? Sure, but God, whatever, I'm waiting, but, and while I'm waiting, it just caused me to be more dependent on him. The days that I don't feel good, I'm just more dependent on him. Like, God, good, you gotta get me through this day because I'm not gonna do it on my own. Whatever it takes to be more dependent upon him, that's what he wants for us. So let me go to the second temptation, verses five through eight. It says, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. Now he wasn't actually lying there. He was telling the truth. He has, he has dominion over the kingdoms of the world for a short time, for a very short time. He says, if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, Jesus refers back to Deuteronomy. These were the words of Moses when he was telling him, you're about to go into the promised land. There's going to be all kinds of kingdoms in there. They're going to be worshiping all kinds of gods. Don't forget who the real God is. Make sure that you worship the real God and him only. Jesus is bringing him back to these words. And what Satan was trying to do here with Jesus was he was trying to expose any insecurity that he might have. The enemy tries to expose our insecurities in life. He wants them to be highlighted. He wants them to be manifested and magnified in our life. Because another name for insecurity is just pride. He wants to magnify the pride that you have in life. You see, if Jesus had had any insecurity at all about who he was and about what was rightfully his, he would have probably taken that, that deal. Because he could, have, he could have said, hey, you know what? I'm the Messiah. I need people to know it. I need them to understand that I really am over all the kingdoms of the world. And so if that's what it takes, then okay, Satan, I'll, I'll worship you if that's what I need to do. Thankfully, Jesus passed this test because he had no insecurity. He had no shortcomings. He had no pride in his life. He was the most, he was perfectly humble, had no sin. And so he didn't fall into this temptation or fall into this hunger pain that we so often have to need recognition or to need popularity or to need uh, people to know who we are or to make people think that we are something that maybe we're not, right? Where we have these insecurities that we just constantly need to be appeased in our life, like a hunger. And if we feel like we can appease that insecurity, if I could just get a little more money or I can get a little more popularity or I can get a little better looking, this insecurity will go away when the reality is it doesn't go away, it just masks it a little better. Because it's not, that's not what it's about. We're not meant to try to appease our insecurities by trying to feed the insecurities because all that does is then make you want more, right? Like, oh, I got a little bit more money, but now I can really use a little bit more money. And it just, it never ends because the hunger just continues. You might appease it for a week or two or a month or a year, but it's coming back if it's not dealt with the way that God would want us to deal with the insecurities in our life. And we will grab at anything to help quench that hunger in our life 
to feel secure. So how does that look for us? What, what can the enemy do to trigger your insecurities in your life? Is it about your appearance? Is it about your career, your intelligence, your popularity, your number of followers on social media? Is it about one of any of those things where if the enemy can poke at you on that, he can get you to, to compromise who you really are, compromise what God has called you to be. And what's so dangerous about this church is this really is just pride. It's just mask pride. We think of pride as thinking, you know, that I'm better than everybody else. When you think you're less, it's just as much pride. Because pride is just not seeing yourself the way God sees you, not understanding who you were created to be. So any, any disparaging from that is pride, whether it's below or above. And so our insecurities are pride in our life. And let me tell you, we could do a six-month series on pride and not cover all of it. The Bible speaks a lot about pride. It is one of the most damaging things in all the world. In fact, every sin that we struggle with is rooted in pride. Every single one of them is rooted in pride. It's such a big deal. And let me tell you, the Bible talks very, very strongly about pride. Enough that it should scare us. Enough that we should be refreshing ourselves and reminding ourselves in God's word what he thinks about pride so that we make sure that we don't embrace it and walk in it and allow it into our life unabated. In fact, in James 4, probably the scariest verse about pride, in verse 6, it says, but he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. That word opposes there, I've looked it up before. It actually means like he stands a guard, like his army is standing there opposing you. Now, anybody want the army of God opposing them? I don't think that's a battle we can win. But he has no choice but to oppose us when we are walking in pride because we are walking apart from his character for us, his plan for us. It's a sin in our life. Now, and this is not saying like we have to be, figure out how to be these 100% perfectly humble humans every day of our life. That's not what I'm talking about. This is gonna be a challenge for us until we get to be with Jesus face to face. But it's about not allowing it to just be there and say, well, this is kind of who I am. I just think I'm ugly and I don't, it's a, it's just, I'm just gonna deal with that. I just never feel like I have enough. I don't feel like I can ever keep up. Nobody likes me. I, I'm just, that's just who I am. I struggle with it. And so that's just gonna be the way it is. When we embrace that and we allow it to just stay there and grow roots in our life, God has no choice but to oppose us. No choice because he will not compromise who he is because of our refusal or inability to deal with the pride in our life. He can't do it. So if you're not seeing the purpose for your life fulfilled, if, you're not, if you feel like you're off track in your life and you're not seeing that purpose fulfilled and you're walking in pride and you're allowing the insecurities in your life to be front and center and when people meet you, they can tell right away, ooh, there's some insecurities there because you're selling yourself all the time or whatever it is. When you're not walking in the purpose God has for you, you don't have to blame the devil. You don't have to blame your boss. You don't have to blame your teacher. You don't have to blame your parents. If you wanna see blame, just look in a mirror because that's where it's at. Because God has given us the ability, if we are walking with him, he has given us the ability to deal with the insecurity in our life and to walk in humility, to know who we are in him and to be able to be satisfied and blessed and content with what he has made us to be. And when we pursue humility, insecurity starts to become less and less of an issue in our life. When we pursue humility, because insecurity cannot stand up against humility. It starts to melt away as we make it a priority in our life to live the, a life of humility, where we're giving credit to God, where we're giving glory to God, and where when things aren't where we want them to be, we're still praising him, we're still saying he's faithful, we're still worshiping him, we're still declaring who he is and who we are in him. And the, it's amazing how the insecurities start to melt away. It's not that we're necessarily delivered instantly from every insecurity, and suddenly we're just incredibly secure, but as we make it intentional priority in our life, we start to see those things melt away. I see myself 10 years ago a lot more insecure than I am today. I'm more secure today than I've ever been. And it doesn't mean that all those issues that I was insecure about have been dealt with. It doesn't mean they've all gotten better. I didn't grow six inches in the last 10 years. <laughs> but I've learned to walk in humility to understand, you know what? God made me who I am. And I'm comfortable in my skin. I know there's, I got plenty of flaws, but I'm not letting those things have any vote in my life. They're not determining the course of my life because I am determined to walk in humility and understanding who I am 
in Christ. And when you, when you are, when you are walking in that security and you're walking in humility, it is amazing how much the insecurities you had will just start to just dissipate away. You know, I've been joking lately, you know, I'm, I'm driving a 11 year old Honda Odyssey, you know, and I hit a deer a few weeks ago. So now the front grill's all messed up and it, headlights kind of turned down a little bit. It looks like, you know, doesn't look good. And uh, 10 years ago, that would not have been okay. I went home and told Joy, guess what? I'm getting a new vehicle. And now I'm like, I don't care. My van is not who I am. My identity is not in my possessions. It's not in what I drive. It's not the kind of phone I have. It's not all those things. I mean, I, we're, we're leaving today to go up to Ohio to visit some family. And I told my brother, listen, if I pull in your driveway and the grill's still on the van, that's a win. <laughs> it's either gonna be on the van or it's gonna be on I-77 somewhere in Virginia. But I don't even care. But man, 10 years ago, I'd have been like, oh, I don't know. You know, I wanna roll up in a nice big pickup, you know, that's jacked up and it looks good. And, it's got, the, got everything, every bell and whistle in it. And I'm, if you have one of those, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying, if it comes out of a place of insecurity, it's a whole different story. And guess what? It doesn't, it doesn't, it, it masks that insecurity. It doesn't actually get rid of it. And that's not what God wants for any of us. All right, let me give you the third one. The third temptation goes into the next verse, verse nine of Luke four. It says, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So Jesus here goes again, goes back to Deuteronomy chapter six, where he's talking about the word of the Lord. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So what the enemy's trying to do here is he's trying to attack his identity. So he tries to exploit our impatience, tries to expose our insecurity, and he tries to attack our identity. He was trying to attack Jesus' identity. He's saying, if you really are the son of God, well, this is what the scripture says about you. Interestingly, the, the devil knows scripture. He knows more than you and me combined. And he will use it and he will twist it and you're actually seeing it in our society, even in churches now, where scripture's being twisted to try to, to try to make it more about us. Scripture will always make it more about Jesus. The context of everything in scripture is about Jesus, everything. So if it's, if it's being turned to make it about us and how much God wants to do for us, you can pretty much assure yourself it's being twisted in some way or another. The enemy will twist scripture in your mind, cause you to believe something, and you can even quote it out of the Bible but you're misquoting. And so the enemy takes scripture and he tells Jesus, if you really are the son of God, ain't no way God's gonna let you die. So go ahead and throw yourself down. He's basically saying, if God's so good and you really are the son of God, prove it, prove it. So the enemy would come to us and say the same thing. If you really are a child of God, he loves you so much, prove it, prove it. You can't prove it. And he would want to stir up the doubt in our heart and in our mind as to who we really are. He says, you're not really a child of God because if you were a child of God, he wouldn't be letting all these other things happen to you. He sure wouldn't let you be starving to death and not have any food. He wouldn't let you get persecuted by everybody that you're getting persecuted by. He would take better care of you if you really were a child of God. So what that does is sows doubt in our mind and says, am I really a child of God? Am I really one of his children? Does he really care about me like the preacher says? Does he really care about me like he does all the other people? Am I really a child of God? Because I don't always see all that fruit in my life. I don't know if I even trust God enough to really be able to jump off that spiritual roof and see if he'll catch me. And the enemy is saying, prove it. And if you're not willing to, then there's the doubt being sowed in. And the only way to combat this in our life is we have to know who we are in Jesus. Amen. We have to know who we are. Not based on, not even what I'm saying here today, you need to search the scriptures for yourself to know that you know that you know, but we have to know who we are in him. And one of the best ways to know who we are in him is to know who we are away from him. And away from him, we are desolate. We are in a perpetual forever wilderness that's going to end up in an eternal wilderness. Apart from him, we are nothing. 
Apart from him, we are orphans. Apart from him, we are poor, we are wretched, we are despised, we are absolutely on the slippery slope to an eternal damnation away from him. That's who we are without him. We have no hope. There's nothing to be hopeful for. Now, I'm not talking about in this life, okay? A lot of people live apart from God and they, they live hopeful and have good lives. I'm talking spiritually. And when we know, we're accountable for what we know. So we know spiritually we are nothing apart from him. In fact, it says in Matthew 9, Jesus was out on the earth at the time. And in verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's who we are without Jesus. We are harassed and helpless. We are sheep with no shepherd. And I've taught on sheep a couple, few weeks ago. If you know anything about sheep, you know without a shepherd, they're in trouble. And it's not that all those people were just poor and desolate. Some of, them were, some of the people in the crowd were probably wealthy. Some of them were probably Pharisees. And he looked out over and he said, That's, he had compassion on them because they were without a shepherd. We are paupers. No matter how much money you have, you are poor apart from Jesus. But with Jesus, praise God, we are a child of the King. We are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. We are redeemed. We are restored. We were brought from death to life. We were brought from sinner to saint. We were brought from orphan to a child of royalty. We are so blessed. Praise God. And we have to know that because your enemy will attack your identity and say, oh, really? So you really are a child of God? Huh, well, that's interesting. And start breeding, posing questions in your mind. Those voices you hear in your head that are doubting God, that's the enemy trying to convince you that you're not really who God says you are. You are who God says you are. You will do what God says you will do, and you will be who God says you will be. And that is secure, and there's nothing that can take that away from you. Like I said last week, the only thing that can derail our purpose in our life is our response to the things that come at us. If you respond to the enemy's assault in your life and let that doubt get sowed into your life, it can knock you off of God's purpose for your life. It's all in how we respond. It's all about knowing who we are, knowing that I am a child of God, and nothing can change that. Nothing can separate us. Apostle Paul said nothing can separate us from the love of God. He said not even demons. Nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing. He loves you and me dearly. Would you stand with me, please, as I close today? I want to pray for us. I want to invite you to the altar this morning because I want to pray for us, and I think it's important that we respond. So I want to encourage you to come to the front as we pray today. I think all of us are deal have dealt with and are dealing with temptation in our life. We're dealing with impatience. We're dealing with insecurity. We're dealing with identity. And we need God to help us to live that out in our life. To live in such a way that he would want us to, to live. To know who we are. To be willing to wait for him and wait on him. To not let our insecurities lead our life. Our insecurities don't get a vote in the plan of this life. Come on up, let's pray together. It's time to pray, church. We're praying that this is not just information for us, but that it actually brings transformation. That the power of God, that we're not just filled with the Spirit of God, but we're actually walking in the power of the Spirit of God in our life. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Church, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you today, God. We thank you for who you are, Lord. You are so good. You are so good, God. We thank you for your word today, Lord. Your word is what transforms us. Your word is what sets us free by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray today for freedom in this house. Lord, would you break chains in this house today in the name of Jesus. Lord, whatever has bound us up, whether it's insecurity, whether it's identity, whether it's taking things into our own hands, God, we pray today that you would break those chains and set us free. Lord, that we would be able to trust in you, that we would be able to depend on you in a greater measure. God, we thank you for the tests that you bring into our lives. Though we don't want them in our flesh, we know, God, that those testings bring us to a place of really walking in your power. We desperately want your power in us, God. Not, not, not for ourselves, Lord, but so that we can be your hands and feet to this world that so desperately needs you, God. To our families that so desperately need you, to our co-workers, our, our co-students, our, our employees, everybody, God, that we know that needs you so desperately, God. We know you're, it's only by the power of your spirit 
that's drawing them to you. And Lord, we pray that we could be your hands and feet, Lord, that we would be able to walk in victory because that's a blessing for us too, but that we would be able to be powerful for your glory, God. We're here to build your kingdom, Lord Jesus. We want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done. God, we don't care about our kingdoms. Where we have cared about it more than we care about yours, God, we repent. We stand against that today, Lord. We don't wanna build our kingdoms. We wanna build your kingdom. We want you to be glorified. We want your purposes accomplished in our lives because we know that when your purpose is accomplished, we're gonna have a sense of fulfillment. We're gonna get to experience the fullness of who you are in ways that we could never do on our own. So God, would you do that in our lives today? And Lord, where we have fallen short, God, we repent. Lord, we repent where we have given in to the impatience, to the insecurity, to the identity issues, Lord, we repent. And God, we thank you today that we know your word tells us that when we repent, when we ask you to forgive us, that you are faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us, God. Thank you for the clean slate today, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the clean slate. Lord, we're gonna need another one in a few minutes, but we thank you for the one we got now. And we bless you today, God. We thank you don't call us to perfection, you just call us to be dependent upon you. So that's what we do today, God. Would you move in our lives in power to where we would get to experience you in a greater way, Lord Jesus. We thank you for it today, God. You are so good. You are so worthy of our lives, Lord. You are so worthy. Would you reveal it to us? Would you make it more real to us than ever that you really are worthy of it all? Make that real in our hearts, Lord, that it's not just a thing we say on Sunday mornings, but we really mean it in our heart. God, stir our spirits, awaken our souls, God, to serve you and to love you, Jesus. We pray you do this mighty work in us, God. And I just wanna to speak to anybody in this room today that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I'm so glad you came here today or that you're listening online because I don't believe in any coincidences. I believe God brought you here for a reason. I believe he brought you here so that you could meet him and know him. You see, to, to come into the, to be a child of the king, to be in the family of God, it's actually really simple. You just have to believe that he is who he says he is. You have to believe that you need a savior and that he can forgive you of those sins and you're willing to give your life to him and live for him the rest of your days. That's all you gotta do and you're a part of the family of God. The Bible says to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. So I would encourage you today, do not leave this place today without confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and asking him to save you of your sins and to come into your life and to live in you and through you and he will do it. And if you have any questions about it at all, you come up here to the front afterwards and I will talk to you. I'd be more than happy to explain it to you in a better way, but it really is that simple. We're the ones that overcomplicate it. Living for Jesus is just about saying, I'm not enough and I need a savior. And any one of us that's in that family of God has come to that place in life. So Lord, I pray for everybody under the sound of my voice, my voice that if they do not know you as their Lord, that they would not go another minute without giving their life to you, God. Reveal your great love your great passion for each and every one of them, God, that they would dedicate their lives to you and serve you all the days of their life, Lord. Lord, we bless you today. I thank you for every person in this house today, Lord, and I pray a special blessing on every one of them that this week would be a powerful week, that we'd be able to recognize the temptations and the tests and trials that come our way, Lord, and we'd be able to go through them victoriously, trusting you and depending on you, God. And it's in Jesus' mighty and precious name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Let's praise God one more time. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Praise Jesus. Mm.